Hello and welcome to the Irresistible Entrepreneur. I am your host, Larry J. Gould, and today I am joined by our guests, Brian Wallace and Bernie Michael. Bernie Michael is our expert, and Brian started the most interesting business, and we want to learn all about it and hear his experiences and share them with you. So welcome, both of you. And Brian, tell us about your story. What's your story? First off, hi, guys, and thank you very much for having me, and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing uh, with you our, our journey from, from Comsey. Uh, so I'm the chief medical officer and one of the co-founders at Comsey Therapeutics. We're a digital therapeutic company based out of uh, San Francisco. Uh, we were originally founded in Poland, in Warsaw, Poland, as a response to the uh, COVID uh, pandemic. A lot of the psychiatrists that we knew in Poland, where I had trained in medical school and for my PhD, um, couldn't get access to their patients because, you know, the, the lockdowns and everything. So um, me and my co-founders got together and we created a telemedicine platform that uh, helped them gain access to, the, to their patients. But as we did that, it was a really good telemedicine platform. But we realized that, that everybody was creating a, a telemedicine platform at the time. I think even Skype uh, was HIPAA compliant. So people were using Skype. A lot of people were using Zoom, et cetera. And so we thought, all right, well, how do we add some value to this? We had already incorporated how to add um, electronic health records to it, uh, very good scheduling uh, uh, capabilities with it. And we started playing around with chatbots. And as we did that, it it was kind of a fun exercise for me. I'm I'm very, very scientific in the way I think and the way I approach things. And I really enjoyed figuring out ways of conversation. I thought that was that was quite fascinating. We, we were testing it with our users and making sure that, you know, our language was understandable and, and uh, was relaying information in a very concise way. And uh, as we were trying to differentiate ourselves from other chatbot technologies that were out there, because we started to see a lot, lot of technologies like that emerging, uh, we stumbled into um, the video bot technology that we use and that we're kind of known for now. Uh, I was watching Stephen Colbert on TV one night or on, on YouTube. And it was uh, he was talking to a cartoon character and the guy who was voicing the cartoon character was laughing in real time with what Stephen Colbert was saying. And I was I was thinking, my gosh, this is brand new technology. I've never seen animation in real time. You know, it it was happening right in front of us. And that got me really excited. I talked to the CTO the next day and within about 15 minutes of our conversation, we had that technology. We we had started initiating the agreements to use that technology and uh, we were able to implement it into our, our chatbots. So our chatbots now became interactive video bots that you could have real-time conversations with. And as we tested it with adult users and children... Um, so we can, found I, can, that, I just, what, can I just inter- test it for what? What was the conversations about? Because we talk about health, you know, so is this about mental health or, or just how are you feeling? What, what, yeah, what was- this, was, this is all mental health based. Our, our aim at Comzi is to, to create digital therapeutics for children with depression and anxiety. Uh, so, so we were, we were dealing with, you know, depressive thoughts and, and, and anxious thoughts. And we were structuring cognitive behavioral therapy uh, scripts within these dialogues. And so we would test it with adults and it was very effective, but we found that the children really had an affinity to it. They could suspend belief and really connect and build rapport with these, these video bots, especially if they were able to make the avatar the, themselves 
So if they were able to create a purple dinosaur that they wanted to talk to, that that would become their friend and they, they'd start connecting with it. But over time, we found that they kind of ignored it. After about three or four days, they kind of, ah, I'm not really that interested in going back to it. And in behavioral health, if you're going to look at uh, an effective arc, it's basically after about 30 days of an intensive program. So if you're doing intensive CBT, uh, about 30 days is a really good sweet spot. So that, that sounds really exciting. Now tell us how that translates into a business about making money and a living from all the investments you're making. So tell us about that. So, you know, it's, it's fascinating. And especially, you know, considering that people have lockdown and people are on long waiting lists to see therapists. Tell us about the business side and your challenges there, because it sounds like fantastically exciting. So, but you need to make us and our audience and other people and investors feel about why they will make some money on this. And we make no apologies uh, for talking about making money because without making the money, it disappears. So tell us about the business side. That's what I'd you know, be so interested to know. Yeah, and, that, and that's the tricky part. Right now, um, my industry is digital therapeutics. And if you look at the digital therapeutic industry of the last five years, there was a lot of excitement uh, that you know, a digital, uh, a, a digital product can be prescribed by a physician after it's approved by the FDA. And then, you know, people will, will start using these products. They're, they're reimbursable. And, you know, all these companies are going to make millions and millions of dollars every year. Um, and, and we even had some unicorns that popped up in the, in the industry. However, uh, the numbers don't really support that, that enthusiasm anymore. Uh, if you look at the numbers, um, about less than 1% of the U.S. healthcare system has adopted remote patient monitoring codes. Uh, that would that would reimburse uh, these products. So that roughly comes out to about sixteen million dollars a year that that a lot of companies are uh, are vying for, and uh, so so it's not a really sustainable business model. So we've had to kind of adapt, and I'll tell you how we do that. Okay, so so at the moment, um, Bernie, uh, you invest in quite a lot of yep. uh, companies. Are you itching a little bit, or are you sort of? Uh... I'm trying to understand. I'm 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 waiting for the monetization. How how we're doing it? I understand that there uh, uh, that one way is blocked, which is uh, you would hope to be able to get FDA approval. You'd hope to be able to get an insurance code. You'd hope to be able to get reimbursement, which is the best way. But you still have a very compelling product, and that product is when you boil it down. If I have a kid that's unhappy, you're going to help help them not make them happy, but help them deal with whatever's making them unhappy, if I'm understanding correctly. And that's a very, compe- as, a, as a father, as a grandfather, that's a very compelling uh, case. I just need to understand um, maybe your pricing model so we can understand how you take this great idea and turn it into a great idea that will also sustain itself and hopefully make money for investors. All right, so right now, uh, our, our current business model is, is B to B to C. So we're, we're a business to a business to a consumer. Uh, and the business that we target is hospitals. So hospitals and uh, mental health facilities, you know, people that are working in mental health as therapists or analysts and physicians, uh, you know, pediatricians and, and psychiatrists uh, within a hospital system. So they pay us a subscription service for the product to license the product, and then they're able to uh, to uh, you know sell that product or to provide that product free for free uh, to their patient population. 
And so, so that's the, so we're we're basically getting a license fee or a subscription fee every month uh, from those. Um, our pricing strategy ranges anywhere from five hundred to two thousand dollars a month uh, for these facilities, uh, depending on the patient population that they're serving. And uh, they have an incentive where they can actually charge uh, up to two hundred dollars for for that product. And that's based on uh, this based on on questioning that we've done with with uh, parents. So uh, that's that's great. I imagine one of the advantages of that is that you have fewer if you were just B to C, if you were just from your business to your consumer, from from your company, say, to me individually so that I could give it to my child, that you would um, uh, uh, the, the marketing costs would be enormous to find all these customers here. There's a way of 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 putting it into many fewer hands, the hospital hands, and having them spread it out to the people who walk through their door. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Sorry, I, I was a bit confused when you said there was like 60 million, not much available. I didn't quite understand what that meant and how that works. It's 16 million. Uh, if, if you're looking at the uh, the adoption of the remote patient monitor, when, when you charge in the hospital, um, for a service, usually there's a code associated with it. So if you're doing remote patient monitoring or remote patient therapy, there are specific codes for that. Uh, we don't have a lot of numbers on remote patient therapy, but the remote patient monitoring digital you know, products, um, less than 1% of the U.S. healthcare system has actually adopted that. Uh, and so, so that only produces you know, throughout the country, about $16 million. So what, what, you say, what you're saying, sorry, just to make it clear for people, is that you've got to have that code to get the money. So, and the market's saying they've got $16 million. So, so, what, so obviously the healthcare sounds like a great place to go and very good to do. But what other avenues? Because one of the things we're actually seeing, we're seeing the most amazing people and what you're doing is amazing. What you've delivered is amazing. But they're not very amazing at selling it. So you've told us you've got a $60 million market. It's not very much. And I'm like thinking, oh, God, this Bernie, you know, I, tell him something that he's going to invest in. Give me something you know? irresistible. So ir- irresistible. Too tempting and too attractive to resist. So why does it just have to be hospitals? Tell us about the current landscape and what your market looks like. But a wider one, not just being hooked or is the no wider one? Okay. When I say the 16 million, I'm talking about this is a, a very limited market. So that's not our total accessible market. And that's, um, th- there are different types of digital therapeutics. There's prescription digital therapeutics, which, which would uh, be reimbursed by those codes. Uh, and then there are non-prescription digital therapeutics, which is what we're doing. So, you know, kind of the sky's the limit uh, based on your patient population. If you look at uh, the United States, this will this will answer your your question, Larry. If you look at the United States, uh, about um, it, one in every five children suffers from a mental, emotional, or, or you know some sort of uh, social disorder uh, that 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 ties in with mental health. Now, about eighty percent of them are, are not receiving the care that that they they need, and it's very interesting because uh, the, these numbers uh, of, of children, uh, a lot of them are insured. So uh, it's, it's not due to lack of money. Uh, sometimes it's, it's due to just lack of specialists. Uh, we've got a, a, a crisis going on in the United States where um, the amount of mental health issues in children is starting to grow just due to limitation of staff or limitation of, of uh, mental health support. Uh, wait times are increasing. 
um, you know, and and people aren't able to get the care that they need. So can, again, again, kind of sorry to interrupt, but it's just like I want to focus on things. Is that we've now found seven million prospective customers in one country. And don't forget this part. This podcast is listened all over the world and in the United Kingdom. And again, we know the problems there and, and again throughout Europe, especially with the economic issues that, that are particularly going on. I, I want to have an idea of what is your go-to-market plan for that? Because let me tell you where I'm always coming from in these podcasts. He's the money man. I'm the, I, I'm the, I use the S word and, you know, <laughs> selling, selling. You know, how are you selling this? And we talk about marketing, schmarketing, you know, which is very important, but selling it's something you avoid at all things. Tell me what's your go to market plan, which leads to this service being sold and money coming back into the business. What's your go to market plan? Okay. Well, we've got two, two areas that we're, we're focusing on right now. One is Europe and the other is the United States. In Europe, we are in a really fortunate situation because two governments are really interested in our product. They're interested in promoting our product once it has been translated into those native languages. So um, as soon as that, that occurs, we'll, we're, we're in a fundraising round right now to get to secure funding to do that. Uh, as soon as that's done, they'll start promoting it through their, their national healthcare system. So different hospitals will adopt that. And then they'll be able to, uh, they'll be, be following the model that I described that, um, the, the, uh, I guess the, the, the licensing agreement model or a SAS model, let's say. Uh, so, so we'll be, we'll be getting money in, uh, from, from the, the sales of those products to the hospitals. Okay, so could you give us an idea of how that is presented? And again, the going to market and which countries you sort of say Europe and you sort of say America. Uh, that's because you're American originally, although I know you don't live there anymore. There, there are more than two places in the world, Europe and America. But, but so how, how are you, you doing it? Which, how are you selecting the countries? What you, what's, again, how are you promoting yourself? Because I would also draw to your attention, there are other people listening to the podcast that are looking also for some opportunity. And so we know that. So it, it really is important. And it's really something I want to, you know, hammer home is the fact that people got these amazing things. And we have spoken before and I know how amazing it is and how it all works, but they're not selling it. So tell me about that. With Europe, we're, we're, um, that'll be our foundation to transfer into the United States. It's a lot harder to get into the United States than, than it is to integrate in Europe for us for some reason. Why? Uh, why, why is that? Uh, the, the American hospitals are extremely evidence-based, uh, especially when you're dealing with children. So you need to have all the validation, all the evidence uh, to, support, uh, to support what your product's doing. Our product is, is evidence-based, which means it's based on best practice models. It's created by physicians. Uh, we've got a team of physicians and lawyers that put it all together uh, to make sure that it's it's you know medically legal, uh, me- medically and legally uh, compliant, and and effective. Uh, and then then it, it'll go through the validation process before we introduce it into healthcare systems in the U.S. Uh, but you asked about how we how we market this, and so what what we've done is very systematically gone from country to country and started talking to either um, healthcare officials. Uh, hospital officials or people within the government that can make uh, health decisions. 
And those conversations uh, start out kind of at the ground level and then they get, you know, uh, uh, kind of leveled up, uh, let's say, until we get to the decision makers. And once we get to the decision makers, then it becomes a very real conversation about how do we integrate into your healthcare system? How many people can our servers uh, provide this to? uh, how, how How many patients can we handle? Uh, per per area, et cetera. And then that, uh, how many hospitals are we going to be servicing within the country? And so we've got uh, we've got some some relatively large countries that are. So that Brian, are this is um, this is interesting. Is is it easier in effect to go to some of the countries in Europe where there are, as there is in the UK, the national health service, where it's almost one stop shopping for you if you get the UK national health, you've got all the hospitals, as opposed to the more fragmented market. Um, more free market that's uh, here in the U.S. hospital system. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's it's kind of like I was talking to a person in the insurance industry yesterday, and uh, they said that they had a huge triumph because they were able to get uh, get access to uh, the the Medicare market within um, w- within California. And I was like, well, that kind of sounds like one of the countries that we're dealing with. You know, the numbers that we're dealing with. And so it's it's very similar in the way if you're if you're looking at the federal like you know federally funded uh, healthcare system in the U.S. Uh, versus a, an NHS. That's right, uh, Med- Medicare, for example. That's right. Is is once you once you get in there. But I think you're right. I think there is a, a, a tremendous number of um, of uh, medical hoops to to jump through before you can get approved for something like that. A small pivot, and I don't want to um, um, uh, get away from the healthcare systems, but one of the things. Um, when when you talk about the health care of, of children and things like that and anxiety in particular, one of the things that uh, uh, I hear about, Larry, I'm sure you hear about it uh, a, a lot as well, is the whole issue of bullying and things of that nature. And my question to you is, is in addition to um, health systems, uh, school systems, as a way of dealing with this, I can tell you um, um, a lot of the private schools have been trying to find ways to um, – save funds by um, going to more of a digital model where they can. And so whether this would be of help with uh, schools that are trying to do that, that bifurcated model of more digital and a little less person sometime. Um, Have you been looking at school systems is the short question. Yeah, it's really interesting that you asked that because uh, we did a pilot study with a hundred students and uh, we were looking to do it with healthy children. And uh, so we were we were having our discussions in within the company and we thought, well, instead of going to hospitals at first, why don't we reach out to some schools to see if we can have healthy children give us some user experience feedback on it. And uh, I made seven calls and out of those seven calls and this was in the UK where I'm based, um, seven calls, uh, five of the hospital, five of the, the schools were like, yes, we need a product like that. Can we? we get on this list. <laughs> and, uh, at the time we couldn't, we couldn't handle five schools. So we, 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 um, we decided to, to, uh, to narrow it down and handle one school with a hundred students that we could really get, uh, some good feedback on. And, uh, so it, it, it was a very easy, um, experience to get a pilot study into a school through that pilot study. We've, uh, we introduced mission amygdala, the, the demo version, uh, that's the name of our game. And so they're able to go through mission one, mission two, mission three, and mission four. And off off of that that feedback that we got, the kids really seemed to enjoy it. Uh, we had eighty five percent of the kids out of a hundred that said that they would uh, recommend it to a friend who was going through some sort of issue. Eighty nine percent said that they had learned something about their own emotions and ways to tweak uh, their responses to to difficult situations. 
And uh, and then we when we um, when we question the parents uh, out of 100 parents, um, you know, 99 percent said that they, they felt like a, uh, this was an important type of game and that it was necessary. So, so Brian, um, Brian, I'm listening to you and I'm sort of I'm sort of like frustrated because because I'm excited about what you're saying. And I'm just not seeing it being closed, being sold. Tell me about the organization. Tell me what you're organizing, because you say we a lot. You're doing, we are doing lots of amazing things, but not closing anything. Uh, it's called uh, SAT, isn't it? Sale, sales avoidance, t- you know, tactics. <laughs> you know, do as much as you can, be clever and don't get disappointed. And I'd seen this with so many entrepreneurs, so many brilliant people who start in business. They're so passionate about what they've created. They know what it means. And I think I know what it means. And I'd like to order one for some people that know, you know, kind of thing. But you're not. I, I would need to understand because this is about entrepreneurship we're talking about. And so I want to understand, you know, entrepreneurship is about taking chances, by the way, people who take chances. Help me understand, you've, you've done such a lot, but who's, who's the team? Or, or is, is it just you? And how does the team work? And where's your plan? It's sort of lots of exciting stuff. Tell us how it works. Yeah, we've got we've got a, a pretty large team um, that that has, has built the, this product. Uh, so right now it's me and four founders that we have. Uh, we have um, two full time and then two part time, and then we also have uh, our coders, our UX designers as well. So right now we've got a team of about ten people uh, that 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 are are, are working on this. Um, after our initial conversations, uh, you had pointed out to me in these these previous conversations that we really need to focus more on marketing, even at this stage. Um, one, of the, one of the interesting things in our previous discussions were uh, you pointed out that a lot of academics just focus on product, product, product. And I, I kind of fall in that background where we just we focus on creating the best product we can, uh, it, really testing it, really you know making sure it, it's, it's really effective. And we'll take care of the marketing after all that. And I, I think uh, you had mentioned that we need to start doing that now. Uh, so, so we have addressed a couple of these issues. I, uh, at, after our first conversation, I reached out to a really prominent marketing uh, person in the pharmaceutical industry uh, who's dealt with digital therapeutics as well. So we brought her on board as an advisor. And uh, we're about to acquire a um, chief product officer who has a really extensive background in introducing medical products into the U.S. healthcare system, uh, into hospitals there. So he'll be helping us design the product, uh, you know, on a, on a uh, marketing level. Uh, uh, he'll, he'll help us design the products so that it's, it's, you know, really effective uh, to be introduced into the hospital system. And also he'll, he'll be addressing marketing as well. And then within our budget, uh, we're, we're uh, dedicating uh, quite a bit to, to the marketing uh, strategy. And I think um, what's important from what you said there is that the marketing people have to be there sort of from the beginning. Yes, it's very important. You're, you have a medical background. You want to make sure that the, that the product works and that everybody can make use of it. But there's a feedback loop that goes on. You you do it. The marketing people are there. They can see things that, uh, that uh, uh, you, from a medical point of view, might not be looking for. Um, uh, some people, as Larry was saying, you can expect – I build this thing and of course the world will be the path to my door. Well, even that doesn't work that way. Even, even Thomas Edison had to market the light bulb initially, right? 
So, so, so you've got a light bulb and you need some marketing people. And it sounds like you're doing that, which is fantastic, Brian. You've got it's some. Only you, of Larry, though. That's, that's, oh, good. <laughs> there you go. Do I get a percentage? Yeah, when we were talking, he was like, I'm really not impressed with your marketing approach. And I was like, all right, so we've got to make some, some changes there. So we, we started to, to effectively uh, in, incorporate those. I, I don't think you can see a, a lot of results of those yet because, you know, we, we got advisor roles. We have to get, um, we have to bring on the, the, uh, CPO, but I, I think those are, those are going to be stacked to, uh, to, to be introduced shortly. So, uh, so would you agree with a message to everybody out there is that be excited about your product or service, but be as excited about marketing it. And under the marketing, remember the sales word, which, you know, it's really interesting that nobody ever talks talk about marketing and, and sales is an aspect of marketing. It covers a lot of things, but the sales thing they always miss. And I think the majority of failures, and I think it's like a 90% failure rate for startups. So it's really important from all the ones that, that we have been working yes. with. It's because they don't pay attention. So Anybody listening today who's excited and sitting upstairs and working day and night about it, put a big thing. Are we selling it? Do I know how to sell it? Do I have a go-to-market? And if you don't have a go-to-market plan, then and you don't know what go-to-market plan, then look on Google. It's got fantastic information that will guide you on that side. But it's absolutely important. I am so kind of frustrated with you because I think what you've got is so amazing. It's just a bit all over the place kind of thing. I mean, the storybooks, the storybooks that, that, that I buy my kids, you know, about bullying. And, and so there's people going in the stores now looking for those storybooks. And we, I read lots of things about nighttime. And I wrote a, a children's story about because my, my so much frightened of insects. And it's so they're, they're so popular. And playing games and learning is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's uh, the kids really, really enjoy it, and um, I, I, I think that we were at the the stage when we had our initial conversations, Larry, um, about just you know let's finish the product and then we'll let the marketing you know then we'll then we'll hand it all over to the marketing department. But I think you're right. I think it, even if you look at you know our industry, a lot of times um, companies like mine want to integrate and partner with uh, pharmaceutical companies. And we're not an afterthought to them. We have to be part of that integral um, you know, planning uh, when they're developing a drug or when they're developing a bundle of products around a drug or a companion um, application to a drug. Uh, it has to be very early stage and it has to be very considered each step of the way. And I, I think we have to we have to approach it that way as well. And as Larry says, um, a lot of people feel that sales is, uh, if not beneath them, then at least not the no, most beneath them. Be okay, yeah, beneath beneath them. Yes. What's what's what should be helpful? I imagine Brian with with you and your company is that your company is actually solving an important problem, and if, when you're solving an important problem, uh, uh, particularly for, for for kids and all that, you really do want to get it out there as widely, as broadly as possible, as quickly as possible. And so while on the one hand, yes, it's sales and yes, it's about making money. It's all about you can really make a difference for a lot of kids with this. And if you can, then you should be out there, you know, every day. Part of part of your mission statement is to get it into the hands of as many kids as possible so that as many people as possible can 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 learn from this and and be helped by this. 
Yeah, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because when I started, they they were like, okay, so we'll need you to make some some calls to these hospitals and stuff. And I was like, and I'm a physician. I'm not <laughs> I'm not a salesperson. Uh, you know, I, I'm a I'm a I'm a, a a neuroscientist and a physician. I've never sold anything in my life. Like, this is not something that I do really. And um, I had the call, and afterwards, my team told me, hey, that was really good. And I was like, it didn't feel like I was selling anything. It felt like I was telling you how we're solving the problem. Uh, can I just stop you there? What do you mean? It doesn't seem like I'm selling. Is that is that something awful to be selling something? I mean, that is kind of the attitude that's killing it. It's like you were pleased that you didn't sound like a salesperson. <laughs> I'm sorry. And that's why, that's why so many people are failing. Because they're sitting there being proud of their cleverness, but being stupid about their attitude towards sales. Yeah, we found we found out that I'm a very good salesperson along the journey. Uh, but I think if you talk to a lot of like physician founders and and, and people in my position, they they always say, ah, oh, you know, I, I don't really want to do sales. I just want to focus on the product. But it's much better to have the person who's creating the product tell you about the product. And so, so we found that that's a very strong. I, I, I don't, I don't totally agree with you on that either, because I think you can be brilliant at producing a product and be lousy at selling. That doesn't matter. As long as you respect it and have somebody, a co-founder or an employee who can do it for you. It's not that everybody out there should, and everybody out there who's got, startups or had businesses for years should be listening to some of the excellent podcasts and books and, and should really be refining and making sure their teams are refining their 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 knowledge of techniques that can be used and that really, really work. But you don't have to break yourself and say, you know, because if you're no good at coding, you can still start a business and, and know where you need coding. Or if you're no good at accounts, you can still employ an accountant and you can employ people and look for people. So it's not, you know, all of you go and jump off the roof now because you don't like selling. And after we've, we've said that if you don't sell, you're going to fail. If you don't respect the subject and don't understand how it works. And sometimes, and even if you're not going to do the selling, at least listen to some techniques and understand how it works. Yeah. And I have, uh, I've really evolved as, as, you know, as, as I have these conversations with investors and with, uh, you know, hospital executives and with other physicians, I've really evolved that. um, How do you resonate what you're doing with, with the market that you're, you're talking to? Um, physicians are completely, you know, concerned about you know efficacy, safety, uh, whereas the the hospital executives are looking at you know what's the return on this. And uh, if you if you tell a physician, or if you tell an executive at a hospital, uh, you know you'll get a four x return. You you're but you realize you're both coming at it from a very different perspective. Uh, for example, my four x return on just a, a, a base price. It's very different from his forex return on you know he's going to have to train staff he's going to have to have people pull away from their uh, their specific task for that day he's going to have to teach people to code for it or you know to bill for it or whatever and so so uh, you really learn a lot through the process of sales about your uh, about your business and about how to um, how to design and how to approach the, these conversations as well how, how do you deal with the team what, what's about the team what are the issues with your team I mean, obviously, I don't want you to sort of say, well, Fred is a lazy, you know, <laughs> but, but what, what, what have been the challenges along the way that probably some have been resolved, just so that our audience can sort of 
understand what what's the sort of personal challenges along with teams and startups and the whole environment of being in a startup oh now we've had we've had some interesting um changes recently over the last like seven or eight months uh with my team so my core team started out with five people it was uh me uh two brothers uh one guy uh who's who's still on as ceo now and a um female physician so uh so we we had a team of five uh, they were all very young, very excited to to go out into the startup world. They had started a, a product. Uh, they were doing a, um, a product for another uh, company, and they reached out to me when they had the idea to do the telemedicine, which evolved into the video games. Um, so so I, I joined a little bit later. Uh, since then, at, at the same time when they started Comzy, they uh, two two of the guys were in school together, and they had applied for a grant. Uh, for an idea that they had, and that idea was awarded the grant, and then it just took off. Like it was, uh, it, it just happened to align with a new law that was being passed in the EU, and um, that the company that they founded uh, really took off. So it, we we hit this pivotal moment where uh, our CEO and our COO had to have a conversation and say, "Okay, this is my passion project, and this is my passion project. I'm going to go lead this, and you you lead this one." And so because of that, uh, our initial CEO has now become an advisor. Um, but our COO has stepped into the CEO, CEO role. And I think it's going really, really well right now. So we've, uh, we're, you know, it, we're, we've still got our momentum. We've still got our, um, we've still got our traction in the market, especially over in Europe. And, uh, the other company is doing quite well as well. So, uh, and then, um, it, our our team was filled with a lot of very successful people. So our CTO um, recently got accepted into an Ivy League um, the PhD program for computer science. So you know, fortunately for him, unfortunate for us. And then our uh, the the female physician that we had on the uh, on the board uh, recently got into residency. So we are <laughs> we're in a situation where we're bringing in new uh, late late stage founders. Uh, one of which will be that that uh, the the CPO which we're really excited about because he's got, you know, 25 years of industry experience and uh, the CTO that we're going to be bringing in is, is, you know, even, even more experienced than, than uh, our initial founder. So I, I think this is an, an interesting point. Um, we've talked about marketing, we've talked about sales, we've talked about developing of the product, but, you know, it's the challenge of the people going and it is a bit like a love affair when you're a startup like a startup marriage, you know, hopefully it's a love affair. Um, it, it's like a love affair. And then suddenly they go off and have affairs with other people. You know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're sleeping with people and doing another thing. And and so, and they're abandoning you, you know, I, I, that's right. And this is one of the reasons, again, why we're seeing failures. It's about this really difficult situation. Can you give any advice to yourself, to the people listening about how you've coped when somebody has been really important to you? I mean, you're saying it in, in a really good way, but how you coped and how do you recruit people and how, we, I think another thing is to understand about co-founders, how they're rewarded and that that's, you know, and advisors, how, how, how is it working in your organization? Because a lot of people don't really understand how you can employ people without, and they think, they can't employ people because they've got to pay a full salary. But there are different ways. And I think it sounds like you've used those different ways. Can you share with us that? Oh, yeah, that's a that's a really fun experience to go through. <laughs> so, 
You have a strange eye of fun. Mm. Where is it? <laughs> Our definition of we're not, fun. We're not judging you. We're not right, well, right, I, right. I am, but never. Yeah. No, Sorry, it's when you, respect, when you respect the people that you're working with, it's, it's really just conversations and say, okay, we need to come to a common ground because uh, if, if you guys are going to focus on this and we, we're going to continue to focus on th- this project, uh, we need you to exit in a fair way that everybody benefits from. Um, if they exited taking full benefits, uh, you know, the, the way it was initially uh, laid out, uh, it would hurt the company and the company wouldn't be able to go forward. And they understand that. So uh, when somebody leaves uh, an organization like that, there's usually there's usually contracts in place that if you're vesting your um, if you're vesting a percentage, it, it, it you hit little time marks. So let's say, for example, every four months you would vest a certain percentage or or a, a you know a percentage of, of of whatever your ownership would be. Um, and then there are other other you know uh, contract uh, things that say if somebody leaves, um, you know they 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 can either uh, they either divest fully or they they're only allowed certain certain percentages. Um, when you have uh, you have five friends starting a company like this, it can get it can get uh, heated. Fortunately, we haven't had that. We've got we, we we've been very respectful, and, and everybody kind of understands. In order for the company to move forward, they have to they, they have to divest what they were initially uh, planning on getting, and and you know I, I think we we come up with fair uh, valuations for them uh, or fair percentages for them as they as they head out. So with that said, uh, that gives us more equity to bring in other people, and uh, so you get uh, we we call it like a late stage founder uh, percentage. So you're, you're able to bring in somebody uh, at a at a at a certain certain percentage and uh they're they're willing to to you know provide work and it's a it's interesting it's not just uh people who've changed but the the very focus of your company company has changed the uh the the products that you this is very different place than when you first started out right the yeah uh, yeah. exactly all of those people were involved in the products that that we currently have um so so when they left it it was you know it, it was it was kind of scary at first because you're like, oh, no, how are we going to, you know, we're, we're losing our team. We're losing our team. But in a way, you, you realize this is the time to create a better team or this is they got us to this point. Um, let's see if we can we can raise it to the next level. Yeah, I, I, I just want to freeze that because I like that's a really great point you've just made. So all the people there, I mean, the stress with having a team, whether it's a team of one or more, is huge when it's not working out. And you're saying in a very positive way, you're acknowledging it wasn't fun, but in a positive way that it is a time when you start up sort of teams and they, you need those people. And then as it develops, they don't want to be there and you really need to change them. And I think this is as, as equally as frightening as the sales for people, sales and marketing. They really aren't the, the people that are interested. So how did, did you recruit? I mean, how, how do you recruit? What methodology do you use for finding people? Yeah. Oh, well, first off, I, I, there, there was no, like, it, I, I say it was tough, but it, you know, there was no animosity. I mean, I'm extremely happy for the guys that, that, that are, are, are doing these other projects. They, um, you know, the other company is doing great. We love that. You're unusual. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, most people are not. <laughs> we'll ask you on here again. We want the dirt. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sorry. My founders, the uh, the two brothers, I've known them since they were like you know 14 and like 
12 or 11 years old. So I, I've seen them grow up. So I kind of feel like their uncle, uh, you know, so it's, it's really good to see them, you know, doing, doing really well. Um, with Gabby, uh, she, she was able to, 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 to branch out and she's pursuing her dream of becoming a physician. So, so that's, that's fantastic. I, I love that for them. Um, with, with recruiting other people, uh, we, we get a lot of people that approach us, um, because they like our mission. Uh, they understand that, you know, access to mental health care for children is extremely limited. They understand that delivery of care is evolving and they really like that we've kind of found that sweet spot of delivering, you know, delivering care in a way that kids are familiar with. They're, they play video games. And so if you can integrate care into a video game, then, you know, that, that can be quite exciting. It's kind of the next logical step of, of mental health care. And so we get a lot of people that approach us and ask us, you know, if, if they can, if they can join us on this journey. How do they know about you? How do they know about you to approach you? We, we, we have a pretty big presence on LinkedIn. We have a, we have a really good presence in uh, different um, conferences that we go to. Um, and that's, that's, that's something that's very important to, to talk in the academic and the business community uh, about, you know, what, what we're doing. So even when, you know, funds are tight and things like that, we, we really make it an effort to, uh, to, to put out uh, as much information as we can about our company, about what we're discovering, about, you know, how do you, how do you develop a product for kids and stuff? So it's, it's kind of academic in a way that, you know, when you're, you're developing something in academia and you, you share that information with the, but, uh, the rest but of LinkedIn the- is, is actually interesting for anybody that's listening today. You know, LinkedIn is, a, so that, that's interesting that you're using that and, and that you're seeing as so are many people. It's a very, very, I'm not being paid by LinkedIn at the moment, but it is a very powerful way and, and people are not using it enough. So that, that's very interesting. The introductions that we get, we, we have some really good uh, advisors. One of our advisors is kind of a rock star in the digital health industry. And he, he's very well connected. He's introduced us to some people that we brought on as, as advisors. Uh, and um, so it, I, was at a, I was at a conference um, or at a meeting group, actually, in, in Cambridge, England. And I met uh, one of the guys that we're, we're bringing on. He, within 10 seconds of, uh, you know, what do you do for a living? And I, I told him he, he loved the idea. And since then, he's, he's, uh, he's kind of been like talking to you, Larry. Uh, he tells me, yeah, yeah, this is great, but you're doing this wrong. This is mm, great, but you're doing right. this wrong. I never, I suggest alternatives. In a pleasant way and in a positive way. Hey, this is great, but you're doing this and you need to adjust it this way. And um, I think that our founding team was all like, okay, we can do this. We can do this. We can do this. And then, you know, you get surprised when you hit a hurdle that you didn't expect. And when you've got somebody that's been in the industry for 25 to 30 years, they know those hurdles are there. And so it's really good to bring in somebody like that, uh, that can foresee some of the challenges and kind of share with you their experiences to, to bring the company forward. So that's how we recruited one. The other one was in a society with one of our founders and they carried on a dialogue. They, they started talking about technology and different things like that, um, different challenges in the design process. It became fascinating conversations and uh, it got to the point where when we were ready to expand our tech, uh, our, our tech lead uh, 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 position or the CTO position, that, that's when we, we were able to uh, reach out and see if uh, they were interested. And, and the recruitment of people is in some ways, jumping back to sales and marketing yeah. again, is a great way to do it. I uh, wind up 
uh, going to conferences and things like that. And uh, immediately there's a buzz about certain companies that are out there. And you hear about it a lot of times from people who have nothing to do with this company. Um, they're, they've just heard about it. There's a, there's a, there's a certain company that's got a, 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 a real traction out there. Um, it, it's really solving a problem that uh, people haven't been able to solve before or not in this, not in this cost effective way and things like that. So the, your marketing, your, your recruitment is also a marketing tool in effect because it gets your name out there to everybody. Like you said, at conferences. It's really to see those guys at conferences, they come in and there's like this buzz in the room where, oh, that's those guys, you know, they, they all walk in and, you know, everybody's kind of staring at them as, as they walk in. Um, so it's, it's everybody's goal to be that, that team at a conference. But um, I, I think when we recruit, we recruit people that are very into the goal that we're doing or into our, our company mission. Um, since we've started focusing on children's uh, depression and anxiety and really improving the access and delivery of care, um, our employees can can really you know kind of amplify that message as well, especially on their LinkedIn profiles because people share what they're working on and it, it gets a lot of attention and um, a, a lot of positive feedback. So and, and some of the negative feedback, uh, not negative but constructive um, constructive feedback is really taken into account and we put that into like our design. So one more quick question as well that that I, I've seen cause problems is that. With 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 partners and with recruitment, it's about the legal document. Now, Bernie Bernie's a lawyer as well. The legal documentation that you you use when you are doing it, and a lot of people don't bother doing that correctly. I mean, how have you dealt with that? I mean, it seems okay because you've not had any big fallouts, but you know, how do you get rid of Every, said, everything no. from protecting your IP, right, your intellectual property, right up front, to um, the the deal between you and your partners. So basically, we use Stripe to uh, to to you know create those contracts when we were setting up the the corporation. Uh, they have different templates that you can use, and as we had the people exit, uh, you can either follow those or you can set up your own um, your own negotiations. And so we've set up our own negotiations with that to to give a fair and and, and balanced uh, kind of percentage as, as as our initial founders leave uh, the company. Uh, so that they feel good and that we feel good as, as the company moves forward. Um, you have to have that approved by lawyers. You have to have that um, you know, it, it set up very legally and very tight. Now, the interesting thing about that is um, as we distribute that equity, as, as you raise in one round or the next round or the, the, the following round, everybody will dilute. So, um, you know, it, it, you, it, as as budding entrepreneurs and your your audience are, are uh, considering this, you, you always have to think about it, not just what you're getting now, but you know what is it going to be? You know, two, three different raises down down the line. So, uh, so we set those up uh, initially on a template through Stripe. Uh, we've adjusted them with our lawyers that that that, that have these these contracts in place. Um, when we're um, when we're setting up IP, uh, that's 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 taken care of by the lawyers as well. Uh, any sort of agreements are are, are reviewed uh, by the lawyers. So legal fees within a company like this are are extremely expensive. Yeah. So and especially when you have a worldwide um, uh, market where you need to worry about the EU and and the US and the UK and can beyond. You can you afford not to do it? You can't. Um, if you be your whole thing is you're selling you're selling your particular IP, and if you don't have that locked down completely then you're going to be hurt badly. And I have to say, I mean, I really don't like generally lawyers. 
And, I and agree. you have to pay all that money out to them in case something goes wrong. And so it's very tempting when you've got limited budget not to do it. But be warned, if you don't get it right at the beginning, you can suffer terribly later on. I want to ask you, you know, we're getting near to the end. So I want to ask you a question. If tomorrow Bernie rang up and said, I'm going to give you $1.5 million, what would you spend that money on? Oh, it's it's interesting that you asked that because I actually have our <laughs> I have our budget that we're working on pulled up. Um, yeah, I, I also wanted before I answer that I wanted to add something to what you had just said about the lawyers. You also need to uh, really pay attention to your accounts. I, I think um, accounting is an extremely important expense as well. Um, it, we set up in um, in Delaware. And uh, it, it, we we were we were taken through the entire process by the lawyers. We were you know, it, we we set up our subsidiary, um, uh, set up our subsidiary in Poland, uh, had our offices in in California, and little by little, information trickles in that oh, you've got to pay this. Oh, you've got to pay this for this this specific service in California. You got to pay this um, uh, 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 some some sort of fee in Delaware. Uh, so yeah, there there are all sorts of things that if you have an accountant, they'll they'll be able to tell you. Uh, beforehand. And Brian, uh, uh, related to that, there as an investor, there are two things I would want to know that you've got completely locked down before I would even consider you. One is one is that your IP is protected, so the lawyer part of it. And the other thing is to make sure that you have um, a, a very good um, accounting systems in place so that the money that I or another investor would give to you is really going to be there and is not going to trickle away through bad accounting practices. Can, can I just ask, Bernie? Sure. For the people who aren't so familiar with this, you talk about IP, intellectual property. Sure. Explain what IP is and why sure. it's important, because not everybody knows the terminology. Certainly. Um, good point, Larry. The, uh, the intellectual property in this particular case, and we'll use this as an example, but it applies to a lot of things, is the, is the, is the, uh, 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 the game, in effect, the that you that you create, the characters you create, the way in which the characters interact with um, with the children who are going to be using it, and the way that the characters are able to um, help them through their psychological issues, all those particular things that you've been able to create and spent a lot of money, time, and effort to create, that's your intellectual property. That's something that if you don't protect it um, legally in every um, a jurisdiction around the world, somebody else could take it. Somebody, else, if you create yeah. Larry, Larry the dinosaur, and you haven't protected it, somebody else could do Larry the dinosaur. Yeah. Okay. So uh, again, again, very new startups. When you're on, don't yes. be too frightened by all this. This is as you are developing. I mean, because you know this, you, you've been going quite a while. So, but but it, it, you you have to be aware of it. And yeah, because this is again a new world. You all, everybody's excited about what they're creating, but you've got to be very, very, and uh, you've got to really understand the legal accounting functions. You don't have to use them all; you just have to understand. But as we're running out of time, one and a half million dollars. I think it's got where will changed. it go? With what, what will it do? What are you going to do? One and a half million would get us through twelve months of development and uh, validation of the of the initial twenty eight day product. Uh, so uh, let's see, I, probably about fifty thousand. If we go through it by month, uh, we do fifty thousand for the 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 um, uh, C level um, uh, C level salaries. Uh, let's see, probably about twenty five thousand for the developing salaries uh, for the the initial um, for the initial team that would finish this up. 
Uh, we, we have game advisors that we would need to pay, uh, DevOps teams that we would have to pay as well, and then uh, medical uh, teams also. So that's another 15000 or so. Uh, we also uh, w- would like to maintain our presence in conferences. Uh, those, are, those are really important for our marketing uh, and for the education of the physicians and the, uh, the uh, people that will be recommending the product. Uh, so we've got about six thousand uh, dollars a month uh, for conference and travel for for different um, for different um, activities like that. Uh, then we got um, marketing that will range from about five thousand a month all the way up to about uh, let's see at the end of our time uh, about eleven thousand per month just just to have uh, specific marketing fees there. Uh, and then finally we have uh, our legal accountant and our office uh, fees as well, which a lot of people forget about. Uh, the office uh, office uh, fees, so that's uh, that, that's around five thousand a month uh, for that initially, and then uh, let's see uh, different IT equipment, uh, five thousand initially. Uh, that would renew in six months time. But generally, your burn rate, if I if I may, and yeah. we'll explain what burn rate is in a moment. But your burn rate is around one hundred and twenty five thousand a month. If you're talking a million five, hundred and ten, yeah, hundred and ten a month. Yeah, yeah. So a burn rate is is how quickly you, quote, burn through the money that you have there. So for um, um, when you have a when you have an, an investment, you need to know how long, how much runway we say that gives you before you run out of money, before you've burned the money. And where will you be in 12 months? Is that going to be enough money? Um, you, yeah. What- I, I mean, the next question is 12 months later, you've burnt all this money. What have we got? So you've got two minutes to tell us you've just burned this. <laughs> Poor Bernie's like, you know, really nervous. 1.5 million is just given. Um, <laughs> and I charge, I charge 10% of everything I get for you. Uh, 1.5 million. Where, where is he? Yeah, no. Uh, so once, once we finish the um, – so we, we've got four levels right now of the game. Uh, we'll, we'll finish up the 28 levels. That'll be very quick because all of the material is there. It just needs to be coded and translated into different languages. That should take just a, a couple of months to do. It in, immediately goes into uh, uh, to, to our studies, our clinical trials in, in Eastern Europe uh, through, uh, through our different hospital networks that we have there. Uh, so we'll be uh, testing that with 200 patients uh, to make sure that it's validated, that it's, you know, all the evidence um, that, that we've used to create the product are supported and validated. And that'll get us up to the point where we're able to start marketing and scaling and testing that hypothesis of, you know, okay, uh, these governments want it. Uh, it's, it seems like a very good business model. Uh, and we'll be able to, to get it in and, and start scaling it up into these. Right. Last question. Very, very last question. So how much is the market worth do you reckon it, the potential is, is is quite significant um so i think our total accessible market uh was something like 1.1.2 billion or so uh, 1.2 or i think 10 point, 10. i would think i would think more with more 10 billion so, than- so again the the the, the 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 bernie michaels of this world they are turned on by big markets because big markets are big returns and and so it doesn't have to be big in every single industry, by the way. So Correct. people shouldn't be worried that their market's going to be, you know, five, you know, five million or two million. But in a case like yours with this investment, and you can't, you've got to get it right. You've got to give it, get it right, and then 
Ben is a sort of looks like it's nice, but then he interrogates. Well, how do you know it was ten point five million? Where do you get that from? So it's very, very important on that side. All right, let's see. I've got. I can pull it up actually if you want to. I can. I. I well, I think we're. I, I think we're running out of time. I think less important than the actual numbers. I think the 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 takeaway from what Larry is saying is that when you when you're speaking to investors, I find that your your credibility can uh, is is obviously yeah. the single most important thing, and it can crack. In the oddest of, of places, yeah. and so if there's a if there's a, a number that some people just throw out there, and then I say, well, where did that come from? And ultimately, there's no answer. Not that you need to have it at your fingerprint, but ultimately, there's no good answer for that. It hurts your credibility and it taints everything else that's said. So again, for all the people listening, you know, it, it really is understanding your market, and remember, investors and people really want to know how big it is, you know, and so you. Research it, and its availability of, of data is fantastic now. But I am really sorry to say we're coming to the end of our time, and it has been absolutely uh, great, Brian, and always great to have Benny. And thank you. I, I, I'm very excited about what you do, and so we we hopefully mm -hmm. will invite you back again to t so you can tell us about all the great successes that we know you will have. So thank you very very much. It's been great, and wish you and your team every success in the future and again thank you thank you very much Bernie all the all the thank you Larry all the best to you Brian I've really enjoyed our conversation and uh, really learned quite a bit from your your feedback there so hopefully we'll be able to apply that and and reach those successes we're, we're waiting to hear we're waiting for our percentage yes we're waiting to hear <laughs> <laughs> thank you and thank you to everybody thank that's, you that's joined us today Thank you for tuning in to The Irresistible Entrepreneur. We hope you've enjoyed hearing from our fantastic guests and found our conversation thought-provoking. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to like, rate, comment, subscribe, and follow us on social media at The Irresistible Entrepreneur. For more on me, Larry J. Gould, or for a consultation from our wonderful business experts, find us on our website at www.irresistible-company.com. And if you haven't already, please be sure to sign up for our newsletter to get updates on the podcast. Thanks for listening and always strive to be irresistible.